Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. It is good to be here. My name is Jonathan. For those of you who might not know me, uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Central, and I have the privilege and the joy to be able to preach this morning. Well, I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with a woman uh, by the name of Joni Erickson Tada. Uh, if you have heard of her before, I see a couple hands. Excellent. I'm glad. Uh, if you've heard of her, you'll know she, she is a, a, a good speaker. Uh, she's a Christian woman, uh, but perhaps most notably, she is a quadriplegic. Uh, she was in a diving accident when she was a young woman. Uh, she dove into shallow water and actually ended up uh, breaking her neck. She was not able to move, uh, really, her body below her shoulders. So she's regained a little bit of movement of her hands. But if you've ever heard her speak or heard her story, you'll know she talks about what it was like in those next couple of weeks and months and years after her accident. It was an incredibly difficult time for her, and I'm sure you can imagine, what do you do? How do you consider the rest of your life not being able to move? She struggled with this immensely and to the point where she was actually quite depressed, and one day she heard that there was a healing crusade that was coming near her hometown. She heard about this and she started to get excited. Maybe this could be the moment that she could walk again. So she got uh, her sister to take her there. They did everything they could to make sure they could make it to this meeting, to this gathering, and they got there, and, and they, could, they could feel the excitement in the air. She started to get, you know, a little bit nervous, a little bit antsy, hoping, you know, this might be the time wh where she could be healed. And so an usher took her and, and escorted her to a, to a place where she could sit. There was a number of other people in wheelchairs there, and the service began Music came, the speaker came out, and the speaker began to, to go into the crowd, and she could see on the other side of the auditorium, you know, people were being healed, and all sorts of things were happening, and she was waiting, you know, when, when is it going to be my turn? And if you know the story, an usher came and said, I, I'm going to escort you out now. Before the service had even ended, an usher came, escorted her, and, and I believe everyone else who was in wheelchairs at that time, to the back, to an elevator that went down to the parking garage and out of the building. She was in shock at what had just happened, confused as to what that all meant, and as the realization kind of sunk into her as, as what had just taken place, she felt she was far more hopeless on the other side, right? The damage had been done. And unfortunately, you know, Joni's experience in this is not unique, right? There's been lots of, of stories that are similar to hers on this aspect. There's even been, you know, news reporters who, who've gone undercover and exposed how a lot of these, well, hypocrites, how a lot of these scam artists operate their business, right? From, from planting people in the audience who can suddenly become healed to earpieces in their ear that, that talk to them and tell them all kinds of information about people that they're not supposed to be able to know. It, it's incredibly devastating for those people who are actually looking for help and healing, but perhaps the, the other side effect that has come from a lot of these fraudulent ministries that have happened is the fact that most people are really cynical whenever it comes to something like healing. You hear of someone get, getting healed, and, and there's a certain skepticism that comes along with that. Well, that's not really how things happen. 
right? We, we, we've got science. We know how pe- people get healed. We know how the body heals itself. It's not some mystical force. And so we read, we hear of stories of people being healed, and we approach it with a certain standoffishness, don't we? And I think that happens even when we read the Bible at times. We read a story like the one we've just heard from the book of Acts about someone who is paralyzed, standing up and walking, and we approach it with that same kind of skepticism. Did that really happen? How does this story work with maybe what Joni went through and many others who have earnestly prayed and sought after healing? What does this story have to do with how we think about sickness and healing and and what we do when we get sick? What exactly do we do with this story? How do we approach it? How do we understand uh, what is going on here? So this morning, what I'd like us to do is simply to walk through this passage, understand what exactly is going on here, and then ask the question, well, what does that have to do with healing? How do we approach it today, and and how should we respond to a passage like this? So if you have your Bibles, let me invite you to open them. Acts chapter 3 is what we're going to walk through this morning. If you've been with us throughout this series, you'll know we've been walking through the book of Acts, and we've been looking at what Jesus called His disciples to be doing, right? Just before Jesus ascended into heaven, He told His disciples, I need you to wait. Wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit, and then once the Holy Spirit comes, I want you to share the gospel first in Jerusalem, then into Samaria, and then to the rest of the world, to the ends of the earth. And in fact, that's what we've seen so far been happening, right? The disciples waited in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Then we looked at what happened in chapter 2 as the Holy Spirit came upon His disciples and the church exploded. 3,000 people are added into their number. And really what we come to here in chapter 3 is kind of a new section in the book of Acts, It's really this first step that Jesus called His church to make, share the gospel in Jerusalem. The next five chapters of the book of Acts are really all about sharing the gospel in Jerusalem before they begin to share in Samaria and on and on. And so we get kind of a snapshot of of what this ministry looked like. How did they interact with people in Jerusalem? So we've heard our text read, but let me just kind of walk through this passage with you. You can follow along in your Bibles. Chapter 3 really opens up with Peter and John, and they're, they're walking into the temple. It's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. That's the normal time when, when they would go to the temple to pray. It was open to, to worship and pray before God. And so they're walking up with all of the crowds that are there. And as they go up these steps into the temple, there is a man sitting just outside the gate. He's crippled. He's crippled. He's had either friends or family bring him there in order that he could beg. Most likely, his legs are fairly atrophied, probably off at a bit of an angle so that he can prop himself up and he can call out to people who are passing by for money, right? If you can kind of picture what it's like going into a a Canucks game downtown, right? All the crowds of people are all there together, and there's usually someone there who's, who's asking for money, and the, the crowd kind of pushes past them, and everyone kind of seems to part around and, and, and kind of ignore them altogether, right? In many ways, that's probably what was happening here. The temple was a pretty good place to, to beg for money. There was lots of people. Some people would give just out of a, a desire to have their conscience eased. Others would give because they wanted to look good, right? Going into the temple, it's a really good thing. Oh, uh, look, look how good I am. I, I gave money to someone. And so he sits there, and he begs for money. And as Peter and John are walking up, he calls out to them. He asks for money. 
And Peter stops. As all the crowds keep streaming around him, Peter stops and he looks at him. And he says to this man, look at us. Here's the interesting thing that you realize. This man has called out to Peter and John for money, but he hadn't even lifted his eyes to look at them. He had spent years and years of his life being ignored. So he didn't even look up at the people he was calling out to. So Peter says to him, look at us. And Peter actually looks at him in the eye. There's a bit of an aside point but to make, but consider how many people who live on the street have not been looked at in the eye for years. People walk by, ignore them, avert their gaze. Let me just encourage you, whether you give money or not, would you look at them? Look at them in the eye. They're a human being made in the image of God. Peter says, look at us. And so this man now looks at Peter and John, kind of expecting either to, to receive something from them or, or at least he's about to do something. Peter says, verse 6, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And Peter grabs him by the hand and pulls him upward. And as he does, Luke tells us, all of a sudden his feet and his ankles strengthen in a way they had never done in his life before. And suddenly he is standing on his own feet. I am sure what followed after that was just a moment of complete silence as this man now looked down at his own feet and came to the realization he was actually standing for the very first time in his life. His feet could support him. And he begins to take a step and he begins to, to walk and realize what's going on. Verse 8 says, and then leaping up, he stood, began to walk, entered into the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. He didn't just stand, he didn't just walk, he jumped, he leapt around for joy. Right? This man who had never been able to walk is now able to jump, and he is leaping for joy at what had just happened. He is going into the temple, and he is praising God, and everyone is, is looking around to see what is this massive commotion that's taking place, and they realize that's the guy who has been out there. For years, he's been at this temple gate begging. Now he's running around and jumping up and praising God. And he is pointing at Peter and John and he's saying, these guys, these guys did it. And finally, Peter says, all right, he has to address the crowd. He's going to tell them what exactly has gone on. We're going to look at his response next week, but just look at verse 12. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? Peter says, look, we didn't do this. This is the kingdom of God at work. Here is what it looks like to have the kingdom of God operate in our world. Jesus began his ministry and he said, the kingdom of God is here. Right? And he began to do these signs and wonders, these miracles, and he would heal people as a way of confirming that what he was saying was in fact true. And now as the apostles take on this ministry, they are taking on what Jesus himself was doing. They're declaring the kingdom of God is here, and it's in the name of Jesus that this man is healed. See, Jesus had promised them that's exactly what they would do. John chapter 14, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father, 
Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus promises that his disciples will do these amazing works, and in fact, that's what we see happen, right? This story is meant to sound a lot like the the healing ministry that Jesus himself did, right? Jesus would heal people, and now his disciples in his name are, are working out that same thing, right? Not that they would receive glory, but that God would receive the glory. What happens after this man is healed? Well, He praises God, and the gospel is shared. This healing is done in such a way that it points to what Jesus has done. It opens a door so that the gospel could be seen and heard. It was a sign, a marker, a confirmation that what the apostles were preaching was in fact true, that the kingdom of God was at hand. As this man is leaping around for joy, we're we're meant to hear a little bit of this fulfillment of what Isaiah talked about. Isaiah said, when the day of the Lord would come, it says, then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. This was a sign that the kingdom of God was at work in this world. When Jesus returns, there will be no more sickness, no more disease, no more sadness, no more death. He will bring full and complete healing. And so this is a a foretaste, a, a sample, a preview of this greater healing that is yet to come, pointing forward to this spiritual healing that is found in Jesus. And so Peter proclaims, he is healed in Jesus' name. It's a sign of the kingdom and and its king. God heals this man to highlight this good news of Jesus Christ. But we're left with a question then, aren't we, right? We're left with a bit of a question here. If God can heal, why doesn't He? Why don't we see this kind of healing all the time, right? Why, Why was it that only this man was healed? Surely there were other people who were sick in Jerusalem at the time. Why don't we see that always here? right? Why aren't hospitals filled with Christians just going around healing everyone? Why is there a pandemic? I mean, come on, if God is at work, what is going on? Right? If I can be really candid, really honest, I spent most of uh, the time preparing for this sermon flat on my back because I was in pain. I've injured my back many times over the years, and so there was something just wonderfully ironic about writing a sermon on healing while I was in too much pain to sit up. God, what is going on? And so I think what we're going to do here is just take a little bit of a look and say, well, what does the Bible all say about healing? How do we understand this? And I think we just need to start off here. God is the one who heals. God is the God who heals. He is the one who created the body, and He is fully able to heal us from any sickness or disease. It is His power, it is His choice, and His determination, not ours, right? We're we're not given this sort of command to just simply go out and heal everyone as if it's a giant game of tag, right? That's not how uh, the Bible ever treats healing. No, in fact, it is God's choice. It is God's determination to bring about healing. He brings healing to this man, as we've just already seen, to bring that confirmation to the message the apostles were preaching. It was a sign that the kingdom of God was here. And so there are many people who will say, well, exactly, right? The gift of healing was for them. It was to, it was to confirm this message, 
right? It was to establish the church. Well, the church has been established. The message is confirmed. We have the Bible in front of us. There's no more need for healing. This gift isn't for today. Now, there's lots of people, and they're good brothers and sisters who are going to hold to that, and I love and respect them. But I think the Bible actually calls us to pray for this kind of healing. James chapter 5 says this. It says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Right? James instructs the church, here is how you ought to pray for healing. Gather the elders, have them pray for the one who is sick. Now, just to be really clear, James James is not saying, well, if you have enough faith, then you'll be healed. Or if you, if you haven't committed sins or, or you know, you've done something like horrible, then, then you can't be healed. That's not what James is saying. James is saying we ought to come to God the same way we always come to God. Confess our sins. Ask for His forgiveness. And actually what is promised here is that God will forgive. Right? That is the promise for us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and we are called to wait and rely on Him for healing. James says we ought to pray, confident that God forgives our sins and expecting that God will bring healing. So the call for the church is, if you're sick, call for the elders. Have them pray for you. And you might be wondering, okay, but do we even do this? Actually, the answer is yes, right? We, we actually still do this today. This isn't something random. This is what we actually do. We don't necessarily always announce that the elders are doing this, but, but if you're sick, let me invite you, ask for the elders to come and pray for you. Or, or every month, the elders have time open in their meetings where they just invite everyone to come and receive prayer. Take advantage of that, Right? This is what Scripture actually instructs us to do, is to come and pray expectantly that God would heal. When I was diagnosed with cancer a couple years ago, this is exactly what the elders did. Came to my house, they anointed me with oil, and they prayed over me. Now, I, I, it would be outside of what I could say to say that's the reason why the cancer has not returned. I, I don't know. What I do know is that was one of the most impactful moments in my life have the church gather around and pray for me. Take advantage. This is what Scripture calls us to do, to gather as the body, to pray for one another. If you're sick, call for the elders. They want to come and pray and intercede uh, to God on your behalf, right? God is the one who heals, and He calls us. He brings healing to Remind us of our need and our reliance on Him. He is the one who works and acts. But then if God is able to heal, if He calls us to pray for healing, why doesn't it always come? Why are we still struggling with all of these hurts? And while God doesn't always give us a, a very specific answer, He does tell us uh, some of the greater purposes behind them. The Apostle Paul, when he is struggling with his own pain and sickness, 2 Corinthians, he writes this. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, he was given a lot, 
right? The thorn, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly for my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, God did not heal Paul. No matter how many times Paul pleaded, God was not going to remove that pain. He allowed what Paul says is a thorn in the flesh to continue so he would not become conceited, so that he wouldn't be selfish or proud. God allowed this pain to keep him from sin. And Paul tells us that as he is going through this pain, you know what he's come to realize over and over and over again, that the less he can rely on himself, the more he can rely on God that actually in his weaknesses, it showcases the strength and the power and the majesty of God himself. See, ultimately God chooses when he will heal and when he doesn't, in both cases, to show us more of himself, to call us to rely on him more and more. God chooses to heal to show our reliance on him to do what we cannot, and he chooses not to heal to show us our reliance on him to do what we cannot. And you might say, all right, but if that's the purpose, to show our reliance, our need of Him, why God, why God don't you do that more in healing? <laughs> why don't you show us, teach us that lesson by healing more than in pain and sickness? And I think, I think there's probably a lot of reasons. Let me suggest one right now. We are so quick to forget, aren't we? As soon as pain is gone, as soon as the sickness is gone, we forget the blessing right away, right? Think about the last time you had a cold, right? And your nose is all stuffed up and your throat's all scratchy and you sit there and you're just trying to breathe and it's just painful every single breath and you think to yourself, oh, I had taken for granted how nice it was simply to breathe through your nose, and you think to yourself, I will be always be thankful as soon as this is over. And, and as soon as you get over the cold, I'm going to say a day passes and you've already forgotten, haven't you? It goes so quickly. As soon as that uncomfortability, as soon as that pain is taken away, we forget the blessings that God has given, right? God allows us to go through pain and sickness in order to be a reminder of our need for Him more and more to always be with you. So hear me, if God has not healed you, it means He is still teaching you something. There is still more of God He wants to reveal and show to you. There is still more in your heart that you have not trusted Him with. So learn and seek after Him more and more that you might be able to say with the Apostle Paul, His grace is sufficient for me. Should everything in the world be taken away, but I have Jesus, I can rejoice. He is sufficient for me. Why didn't God take away this pandemic? Why are we stuck sitting all spread out, masks on? Come on, God, why haven't you dealt with this? I think before we ask that question, we need to ask the question, have we learned the sufficiency of God's grace? Have we learned how to rest in God more than we rest in our comforts? 
See, I think God is actually teaching our church something at this moment. He is showing us what it looks like to truly trust in Him alone. Not Jesus and our comforts, but Jesus and Him alone. Can we still rejoice if all we have in this world is Jesus? When our comfort and our our normal life is taken away, can we rejoice in His grace? So I think God is teaching us something, and probably many more things at this time. He is teaching us that it is His grace alone is sufficient for our joy. When God heals, it shows our reliance and our need of Him. When He holds back healing, it is so that He can teach us to rely on Him even more. And so whether we are healed or whether we continue on in pain, the call for us is to learn to respond like this man did in Acts as he leaps up for joy and praises God. See, that is the end goal. Whether it's healing or not, we learn to praise and rejoice in him. See, here's a man, he had learned what it meant to be reliant on God. He had spent his entire life learning that lesson that he couldn't rely on himself. He needed other people to help him every single day. He knew that only God could heal them or heal him. And so as Peter walks up and he introduces him to Jesus Christ, and as he stands up, he knew exactly who had done that work. It was the work of God, and he rejoiced because he had met Jesus. This was gospel joy. More than just being happy that he is able to walk, this was a joy because he had met Jesus Christ. See, the Bible tells us that sickness, disease, death, it all entered the world because of sin. It's one of the side effects of our rebellion against God. And now as this man looks at healthy legs restored, he realizes that in Jesus, the curse of sin had begun to turn around. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus did. When he went to the cross, he took the punishment, that curse of sin for us, so that anyone who would trust in him would be saved, not from physical sickness, but spiritual death that all of us face apart from God. See, sin is that root problem, and Jesus came to deal with that. And so now, the best response is rejoicing in the God of our salvation. Paul reminds the Philippian church, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Don't rejoice sometimes. Don't rejoice just when it feels like it. Not just rejoicing when when everything is going well. Rejoicing always because we have been given the Lord. Habakkuk says when he faces the loss of everything, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation because of what Jesus has done on the cross. We can rejoice. We can celebrate. We can be glad each and every day, no matter what we have or what we lack. Nothing separates us from Jesus Christ. He has dealt with our greatest problem, and so we rejoice in Him. Let us leap for joy. Let it be shown in our lives that other people might look and they say, I don't know why you can be happy and rejoicing in a pandemic. See, ultimately what Peter wants for this man, more than the healing of his feet and his legs, is the healing of his soul. And so he doesn't offer him money, he offers him life in Jesus Christ. See, if you're on the Titanic, the greatest need you have is not to find a cabin that has has no water damage. It's to get on a life raft. 
not looking to move up a level, but you're looking for life in Jesus. So what do we say to a story like this? How do we respond? Are we supposed to run around and try and go heal everyone? No. Actually, our first response is faith. It's trust in Jesus Christ, right? We can't offer to anyone else what we ourselves have not believed and experienced. Have you trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Let today be the day. Wait no longer because there is such joy in the forgiveness of Jesus. That is our response. Let us rejoice and praise God because of what He has done. Because when He does bring healing and He brings us good gifts, let us rejoice for that. Let us rejoice when He allows us to go through sickness and pain so that we might see more of Him. Let us rejoice that God is still at work revealing Himself to us and showing Himself to us more and more. See, I began by talking about this woman, Joni Erickson Tata. She's an amazing woman of faith. Just a few years ago, she wrote an article that was a reflection on her 50th anniversary of her accident. She has now lived 53 years as a quadriplegic, and this is what she wrote. She said, the core of God's plan is to rescue me from sin and self and to keep rescuing me. The process is difficult, but affliction isn't a killjoy. I don't think you could find a happier follower of Jesus than me. The more my paralysis helps me get disentangled from sin, the more joy bubbles up from within. I can't tell you how many nights I have lain in bed, unable to move, stiff with pain, and have whispered near tears, oh Jesus, I'm so happy, so very happy in you. Oh church, would we learn to respond with that kind of faith and joy? that we could lay in our bed crying in pain and say, Jesus, I am so happy in you. God sent Jesus to save us from our sins, and he will continue that work in our lives for our great joy in him. Let us rejoice that God is still working in us. Let us share with everyone we meet the joy of knowing Jesus, our Savior. Let us rejoice and praise him. Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful, Lord, that you sent Jesus to, to come to earth to pay the penalty for our sins that we might be healed. Lord, not, not temporarily now, but eternally with you. Father, I pray, would we trust and learn to trust in you more and more, Father, as you reveal to us even the sin in our own lives, that we would give them up for the joy of knowing you. Father, might that joy overflow and bubble from us to everyone around us, that we might be able to share the name of Jesus with all we meet. Father, we thank you for these things. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for that gift of joy you give to us. And we ask you now, Lord, work these things in our lives, we pray. In your name, amen, amen.